This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is the Full Story Newsroom Edition, where our editors discuss the news of the week. An AI-generated poll on a third-party platform recently compromised The Guardian's journalism, angering many readers in the process. It seems like advancements in AI are moving faster than we can keep up with. News organisations are already starting to use AI to help them write articles and create images. But we know that AI can also be used to spread misinformation. And at a time when trust in the media is at an all-time low, how can we hold on to the concept of truth when it's constantly being challenged? Today, I'm speaking with Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and National News Editor Patrick Keneally about the risks that AI poses to journalism and what we can do about it. It's Friday, the 3rd of November. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Jane. Good morning, Patrick. Morning, Jane. So, Lenore, something really bizarre happened involving AI this week when Microsoft republished a Guardian article. What exactly happened? Yeah, bizarre and really distressing and disturbing, actually. They republished on their MSN news website a Guardian Australia story about the murder of Lily James. Now, they're allowed to do that under the licensing agreement that we have with them. But what they did then was attach an incredibly appallingly inappropriate AI-generated poll to our article. Without going into the detail, it basically speculated on how she died. These polls were also on most of the stories when we looked at the MSN site. They they were attaching an AI-generated poll to most stories from the Herald, the ABC, the Daily Mail, and a lot of them were pretty inappropriate, not as awful as the one attached to our story. Now, obviously, this is incredibly distressing for anybody affected by that death. It was also very distressing for our reporters because there were comments from readers of the MSN site who thought that we'd put the poll there. So professionally incredibly terrible for us as a news organisation and for our reporters. I raised it with London where our licensing deals are done. The global CEO of The Guardian, Anna Bateson, wrote to Brad Smith, who's Microsoft's vice chair and president, pointing out that this is exactly the way we have asked them not to use generative AI and exactly why we'd ask them to never, without our approval, use it in applications that were attached to our stories. And they've now taken the polls down, they've now taken the comments down, but the whole thing is a really good example of 
the dangers of AI and news. Yeah, and I think, look, the really surprising thing about this is is this was not some fly-by-night operation who were testing the boundaries of AI. This, no, this is, is Microsoft. Microsoft. <laughs> this is the biggest software company in the world with billions of dollars to research this stuff at their disposal. And what are they using AI for? To put these very poor quality, dangerous polls alongside our reputable journalism. Mm. But they sacked all their editorial stuff on most of them several years back. So they don't actually produce news now. They syndicate news. And like BuzzFeed and other places, they're trying to use AI for that kind of quick clickbait, really, travel stories, polls, whatever. That's what they're using it for. And, you know, regularly it goes really, really wrong. Yeah, we should say that Microsoft are also investigating the cause of the inappropriate content and said a poll shouldn't have appeared alongside an article of this nature. And they're taking steps to help prevent this kind of error from reoccurring in the future. But this is not the first time a Microsoft AI assistant has gotten something really, really wrong. A Microsoft travel guy for Ottawa in Canada recommended that tourists visit the Ottawa Food Bank and that remained there for a long time until it was spotted and removed, you know, after there was outrage about it. And they also said to only visit the Ottawa Food Bank if you had an empty stomach. Seriously, (laughs) that's what it said. I searched for Sydney on Microsoft Travel and this is what it said. The vibrant city of Sydney is a place for all. It is full of sophisticated spots like the iconic opera houses, inviting beaches and trendy areas like the Rocks and Darling Harbour. The people of Sydney are known for their fashion forward attire, British-style sarcasm accompanied by an easygoing attitude. Now, there is no way a person wrote that, like, surely. And at the very bottom of that page, after a million ads, it did say this page has AI-generated content. But, I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. It's useless. Mm-hmm. If anybody was actually planning a trip, you'd have to, now you have to go through Google searches, which produce reams and reams of this AI-generated content, which is very low quality, useless for you. And a lot of users are now going to back to guidebooks, back to searching yeah. Reddit, to other ways to get past this just torrent of AI-generated poor garbage. quality content garbage. Mm. Mm. Well, that, those are travel examples. But Lenore, is generative AI actually being used by media organisations to gather and to write the news now? So I think all newsrooms are sort of scrabbling or thinking about how to use it because on the one hand, it's a technology that has obvious potential. And maybe it can help us with some mundane tasks. Maybe it can help us with, I don't know, summarising things or transcribing things. But on the other hand, it's just incredibly dangerous because you know, it just regularly gets things wrong if it's not used with human oversight. And if it is used with human oversight, then the efficiencies and the and the cost savings that is what makes it attractive for news organisations aren't there as much. And, you know, I think it comes back to understanding what it can and can't do. Like it's basically predictive text on hypersteroids. It's basically about being incredibly, unfathomably good at predicting the next word in a sentence or the next 10,000 words in an article or whatever, but it can't check facts and it can't understand when facts are out of context or, you know, as we've seen in the examples, just gratuitously, awfully out of context. And it just makes stuff up. But, you know, for example, News Corp is using it to produce financial reports, weather, fuel prices, traffic conditions, and with some human oversight. I think Michael Miller said in a speech that there's sort of four people who work on that using hyper-local news generated via AI. 
Now, I haven't seen examples of that being, you know, egregiously wrong because it's those very simple uses. But if you get to any more sophisticated forms of journalism than that, it does get things wrong. CNET issued corrections on 41 of 77 stories they published that were written using an AI tool. I mean, that is not a good strike rate. It's also not just getting things wrong, but also blatant plagiarism and copyright Mm -hmm. theft. Uh, Recently, the Booker Prize winning novelist Richard Flanagan was among a whole lot of authors whose works have been potentially pirated by a US-based company to train a large language model. Now, this generative AI has to get its content from somewhere and it searches, crawls through the web to other media publications and takes what it likes without any kind of qualms about copying or plagiarising other people's works. The the other broader issue with that is I think you've got this issue and Samantha Floriani wrote about it for us where you are basing your stories only on other stories that exist already. So you end up in this situation where AI models are using other AI-generated content to write AI-generated articles. So it's like this snake eating itself increasingly on poorer and poorer quality content and, and you end up with something that's incredibly worthless. And that copyright issue is also a huge issue for the media. So we've blocked open AI from using our content to, you know, power products like ChatGPT. But they did use it for a long time and we don't know how much of our content has been ingested into it and is now being sort of chewed up and spat out in some sort of information terrain. And that's one of the things that The Guardian is and other news organisations are asking governments and regulators to do, which is to set out how copyright law applies to AI because we don't know what data is fed into these large learning models, but we do see that our content, what we do, is being spat out of them, sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately, sometimes in citations to Guardian articles that don't exist but look really persuasive. So having some control over how our copyrighted material is used And what happens to it is incredibly important. I mean, it's at the heart of what we do. And I saw an article in the New York Times about the News Media Alliance across big publishers that compared the public data sets that they thought were being used to train chatbots like ChatGPT with open source data. And they basically found that great tracts of articles were being regurgitated in answers with no attribution you know, they're basically regurgitating our work without any recompense and without us having any say over the context in which it's the regurgitation is happening. And an interesting part of that is you mentioned weather reports and stock market reports and maybe simple sports results are something that AI models are being used for at the moment. But anything that's based on more complicated reporting ultimately has someone going out and doing the work in the first place mm. by talking to people and being out on the ground. And you're never actually no. going to be able to replace that bit of it. All an AI model can do is copy that. Exactly. You know, and regurgitate it in some different way. Like the basis of our job is telling people things that they don't and can't already know. And the basis of AI is regurgitating stuff that people do already know, but very efficiently and scraping a lot of data sets. Yeah, exactly. And all of this is happening against a backdrop where trust in media organisations is declining and it's also becoming harder and harder to identify disinformation and misinformation that's created completely by humans. So is the increased use of AI tools in this space making it even harder to do that? That's my greatest fear, actually, 
Steve Bannon once said the way to kind of conquer the news media was to flood the zone with shit. I mean, this is Steve Bannon's best ever dream. And I think the idea that the internet is just flooded so completely with unreliable stuff means that readers might get completely overwhelmed and just not know what to trust or what not to trust. And we saw, again, there was an article in the New York Times this week about how people are responding to some information they're getting out of the Israel-Gaza conflict. And they're basically even mistrusting information that turns out to be true because they just don't know what to trust and what what to believe and what not to believe anymore. I think it's also an opportunity for reputable media Mm. brands to be quite upfront about their policy in using AI uh, or not using AI and to make clear to readers, you know, how they source their information, all the, you know, ethics that go into making newsroom decisions. Uh, It's going to be more important for people to seek out brands and media organisations that they trust in an environment where they're not sure about where this information is coming from. And this might be a slight pipe dream, but the other thing that The Guardian has been asking of governments and regulators is to try and find a way where generative AI outputs are also transparent about what they are and actually say this information has been developed through AI and it might not be accurate and, you know, having that kind of a declaration, not way, way, way down the bottom of the travel story but right up the top is a flag to readers straight up. You probably can't trust this. That would be helpful too. But I agree with Pat. The the hope for us, and, and, you know, it's a hope, is that eventually people will kind of come back to news sites that they know that they can trust because the whole ecosystem is just so corrupted by information that they're unsure of. Well, on the subject of regulation, this week the UK government is holding a summit on AI safety. Is it time for Australia and the international community together to be setting standards, perhaps? I think so. I mean, that summit has got much, much broader horizons than just the news media. I mean, they're sort of looking at existential threats to humanity and stuff like that. But, um, but you know, everybody's there. And yeah, I think that is the whole the whole point of it. I think a lot of regulation at the moment is ad hoc and people are kind of making decisions on the run. You had uh, Joe Biden, I think, last week making an executive order to establish some guardrails in terms of how AI could be used, tasking various government departments with looking at the issue. But that's an executive order that will last for the term of his administration. Even the US, where most of the work in AI development is being conducted in California and Silicon Valley, you know, even the US who are central to this research are still struggling with ways to develop it. So I think the idea that we'll come together as a global community and develop rules around this or or guidelines or, you know, even guardrails is a long way off, I would say, at this point. But I guess that the summit in the UK is a statement of intent that at least governments understand that they need to be looking at it and that they need to be thinking about it and fast because that's the thing about this technology. I mean, it's just moving so quickly. It's incredible. Well, Noel, what is The Guardian's policy when it comes to generative AI, given how fast it's moving at the moment? We're still thinking about it, but we've sort of put some principles around it, which is we would never, ever publish anything that had not been fully and completely looked at by humans. Um, We've got a working group who's looking at whether there are any sort of journalistic ways that it might help in news gathering, but we haven't actually sort of determined what they are yet. I think one thing that you could see as it being very attractive for using in is, you know, we may have huge 
data dumps or, mm. or leaks where there's millions of documents to go through and you can see a you know large language model or an AI assistant being quite helpful in a circumstance like that. But you would have to understand exactly how it's working, what are the biases that this machine would mm. produce, are the results accurate, and, and those are quite big hurdles that, you know, I, I can't see them being overcome anytime soon. Well, earlier we mentioned Microsoft was an example of an organisation that has relied on AI to cut journalism jobs. Other news organisations have done the same. I know I'm regularly asked by particularly frightened friends when I think AI will take my job. Um, what do you think is the danger in reducing the number of humans in this business? So the jobs that I think could be at risk are... Jane, I'm happy to say, not the job you do oh, or, Thank you. <laughs> or any of the team does. I mean, I reckon all journalists at some point have been sitting writing something and thought, I think a trained monkey could do this. Some very basic sort of, you know, pulling together of a press release or writing a financial report. Those kinds of things maybe one day will be able to be done by AI. I don't know how accurately, but possibly. But that the very least skilled types of journalism um, or clickbaity types of journalism, the kinds of journalism we do, I just, I can't see how a function, no matter how incredible, that doesn't have a critical faculty and doesn't have an ability to bring in new facts can do what we do. So I think that's a long-winded way of saying, I think your job is safe. Great. Thank you. That was my long-winded way of asking. (laughs) I would just add to that. So there was an interesting piece in the New York magazine that looked at kind of three scenarios about how AI could change the news business. The first one is that AI replaces journalism entirely, which is a pretty scary prospect, but not one that I think is likely at this point. The second theory is that AI somehow improves journalism, which in many ways is wishful thinking. But in that way, people have talked about how AI could be used to help their work in, you know, if you're writing a feature, you might be struggling with some ways of wording things or moving from one part of the feature to another. You could ask an AI model to come up with a few different examples of how you could do that just to get you past that kind of writer's block that I think everyone who's ever written a feature article has sometimes experienced. And you see that kind of parallel in some ways where technology does free us up from some of the more mundane tasks. Like millions of people around the world use Spellcheck every day to improve their work. We have some systems on the back end that help us check whether what we're writing matches the Guardian style guide. There's little things that can be done with the use of AI that can help free up other tasks. But what the danger is, is you don't want to free up people from mundane tasks and then basically those people lose their jobs. You want that time and resource to be reinvested in journalism and freed up to work on, you know, other things that will move the dial and, you know, investigations and uh, breaking news. Next, climate change, conservatives and cheese. Hi, I'm Patrick Keneally, National News Editor at Guardian Australia. Guardian Australia's Morning Mail is a quick roundup of the day's top stories, delivered directly to your inbox. Bringing you reliable, accurate news from journalists you can trust. And it's free. Sign up at theguardian.com forward slash newsletter or simply search for Guardian Australia Newsletters. 
Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. And now we come to what we can't get out of our heads. Patrick, what was it for you this week? This week, I think the thing that's fascinated me is this global gathering of conservatives in London, uh, the ARC conference, which has seen everyone from Jordan Peterson to John Anderson and Tony Abbott and John Howard trooping over to London to talk about woke ideology and uh, climate change and, you know, all the, the greatest hits, the beat noirs of uh, conservative politicians. But I think it, the interesting thing about it for me is that it's striking this quite triumphant mood at the moment. They've come out of the referendum energised by what they're calling a turning point where Australians have, you know, in, in their view, rejected woke ideology and rejected John Howard uh, was there last night and saying that Australians had voted to reject multiculturalism. Mm, didn't was see, nothing it, didn't about, see it on my ballot paper. Yeah, no. And, you know, we know from many years of opinion polls in, you know, some of the very reputable ones like the Scanlon poll, where Australians actually love multiculturalism. They're quite at home with it. And, you know, it's got more than 80% support amongst Australians. It's very much a part of our culture. This vote was nothing about that. But I think Conservatives have seen it as a moment to capitalise on all the other long-running yeah. as they have. And at that same conference, Tony Abbott was finally and fully coming clean with his complete climate denialism, saying that he thought anthropogenic global warming was utterly implausible and the climate cult would be completely discredited. Which, you know, like when he was Prime Minister, he, he would always dance around it. He had a form of words and he was sort of making fun of that. I have this form of words because I had to say it because, you know, all the climate cultists thought that it was true. I don't know. The ability of ideology to obscure obvious factual evidence never ceases to amaze me. And I also think I'm still kind of idealistic enough to think that Australians have a right to be angry when a Prime Minister is quite openly saying he wasn't honest with them. But also just the hypocrisy of going to a conference where it's a bunch of conservatives saying we should stand up for our, our beliefs and our mm. conservative rights. But when he's but, actually But when I was actually Prime, Prime Minister, Minister, I didn't mm. do that. Mm. I have a story this week, but it takes us completely out of the realm of politics. On a little lighter note, I really loved this week's blind date column in our lifestyle section. Um, for those listeners who aren't aware, it's a column where two people, as the label says, go on a blind date and then they give their impressions of the date afterwards. One man to, on this week's column went on a date with a woman he was very enamoured with and he said the most awkward moment of the date was, quote, the blue cheese took me on a journey. I spaced out for almost a full minute. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say... And we should say that the blind date column is coming to Guardian Australia, so it's really exciting. And we will have a, um, a form on the site. If you would like to go on a blind date in Australia, please let us know because it's, it's you know, you get a free meal, you might, meet, you might meet someone nice, and it's really very gentle. There's no sort of super harsh judgments made. No. No. 
so much for your time, Lenore. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. That was Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and National News Editor for Guardian Australia, Patrick Keneally. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Joe Koning, who also wrote our theme music. The executive producer was Miles Martignoni. If you like this episode, please subscribe and follow Full Story wherever you listen and leave us a review to help us find new listeners. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.